I'm back. Uh, Tony and the other men of the Making Men Ministry are off having their retreat this morning, planning for next year's calendar. So uh, we are one flesh. Think of me as Tony, if you like. We are reading uh, from 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verses 41. I had it set and my phone has kind of just... Oop, there it is. Okay. 1 Kings 18, reading from verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Amen. Thanks, Mel. Morning, everyone. Morning. Morning to those at home. We continue our series on Elijah in just a few minutes. It's a little echoey. <clears throat> Uh, but it's my privilege to welcome Jeff and Marion Gunton here this morning. Jeff and Marion are back from the Philippines. They are missionaries that we support. <clears throat> We're going to take a few minutes just to ask them a few basic questions and pray for them this morning, and they're going to do that. Welcome, guys. Okay. It's good to be here. Good to have you here. Um, you've been in the Philippines for about six months, and we prayed for you and sent you out. So how's that gone? And was it important for you to be there? Mm -hmm. It's uh, gone very, very well. Uh, in some respects, it's gone better than what we expected. Um, it's just been really great. Uh, I'm with Simply Mobilising and we have the opportunity of working with so many different teams around the world. I think it's about 108 different countries. And, um, and that I work with the leaders, uh, the regional leaders, and who then work with the country leaders. And, um, and so it's been a great time of being able to connect with the, the 12 leaders that I connect with regularly and uh, just being able to do that via Zoom. But then we found that being uh, at the, um, the International Centre uh, in, the, in the Philippines has really given us a real synergy with the team there and it's just been great um, just being in the one office and and someone will have an idea and then all of a sudden we'll just stop what we're doing and just start talking about that idea and then five minutes later they've got a new train of thought or we've got something new that we're going to be focusing on and it's just been really great to see that dynamic at work it's a dynamic that can't be captured with video conferencing with zoom but it's something that has just been the synergy that has come from being in the Philippines has been face really to face. Important. Certainly better than Zoom, isn't it? Ah, uh, certainly. <clears throat> so it's important for you to be there for that reason. Mm -hmm. What about for you, Marion? Well, for me, I 
you know, I thought, yes, well, I'm going with Jeff, I'm his wife, and um, our kids are growing, so I can leave. And it was more just going to continue to support Jeff. I've, I'm his admin assistant, so I'm doing some things, but still does learning. He, does he pay you? Uh, no, he's not a good payer. <laughs> he does pay me with compliments, so that's really encouraging. But um, while I've been in the Philippines these six months, it's re really helped me to get that um, mind change, if you want to say it like that, that now we're not a family in mission, we're a couple in mission, serving the Lord wherever God puts us. doesn't have to be overseas. So it's really been a good transition for me and not being here in our normal environment, I haven't had a lot of the distractions that you get here with family and other things at church and stuff. So I've been able to concentrate more on what I need to do for Jeff and then whatever else I can do at the centre. So um, it's been a really good transition change for me. Yeah. Right. So good for and, you to and be I've there enjoyed as well. it. Yeah. 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 And the other part to that is. Sorry. Welcome to my world, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just remembered one of the things he said make sure you mention. So, uh, <laughs> no, one of the other parts to being in the Philippines is now we've left our family here, but God's given us another family. And we've got a, this family of younger people, 25 to 35 sort of age group, and, and they've become a, a family. <laughs> and it's, God is just so good. And I mean, in the Gospels, God talks about, Jesus talks about that. You know, we might not be with our family, but he gives us another family. Oh. And I really do sense that. We're, we're mum and dad, you know. And, and one of the young fellas the other week before we left, he comes and he goes, we, we were just having a game together. And he says, I've got some things to tell you. And he, one of them was, I've got a girlfriend. And we were the first to know. <laughs> and it was like so special. So God's really done that. The other good thing is, I'm sorry, talking about our family. Um, You're not sorry at all. <laughs> um, one of the, the young couple that came from Brazil, if you remember, Naomi and Caleb came from Brazil, and they were there just before us, but they are now having their first baby. Uh -huh. So we're going to be grandparents. And it's like, wow, God is just so good. And, and we're there, they're excited that we're there. They love having us there. We're good support. We're able to talk. You know, about all sorts of things. So, so transitioning from Sagana and Michael, you'd wipe your hands <laughs> of them there, you've got nothing more. Oh, you want me to answer that one now? Yep. <laughs> well, i got the mic. Oh, no, we haven't wiped our hands of our son and daughter. Michael and Sagana are very much um, young adults, set up on their own, and Michael's doing very well in his work, his engineering, electrical engineering job, going great. And it's so good to just see that happening. And we've been able to talk with them every week on Zoom. And it's just wonderful being able to have that regular contact because we, we've been missionaries a long time. So we've been through that time where you just never had that. And, and being able to have that regular contact has really helped us, I think, not be homesick so much or not miss them so much in a physical sense. And I know Sagana, Michael too, but he's a boy, but Sagana has really appreciated that. And we've had twice a week with Sagana, once a week with Michael. Boy, girl, you know. <laughs> so yes. that's been a really good thing. And sorry, Darren. You're right. Yeah, while I'm... <laughs> You're right. Um, so 
So Michael's, yeah, doing really well. Sagana has had the change where you might have remembered when we were here six months ago. Um, there was She was working through getting the caring of Jacob, who is with us this morning, because Sagana went away for the overnight, having a break. So um, she has now got Jacob full-time caring for Jacob. So you just do try and remember to keep praying for Sagana because it's not an easy... It's not an easy job. You know, mums know it's not easy even when you've got your husband with you. And she's a single mum now and you single mums know. And he's not the easiest Being child. So it's not easy either. Mm. So, yes. Um, how can we pray for you guys? All right, just pray um, particularly for family. Uh, this time that we're home, we're going to be doing a lot of travel, um, particularly... How long are you home for? Uh, we're home till February. Okay. So, um, and... Yep, so we're going to be spending most of all that time on the east coast of Australia, but various okay. parts. And yeah. so just pray for us as we uh, travel. Tra as we travel, pray for us as we uh, come and go into our home where we're the guests at our home now. It's Sagana and Jacob have got their routines and we've got to try and fit in with that as much as possible. And pray for, um, pray for, for that. Pray that we don't be undermining what Sagana is putting in place. That's very important. And it's just, it's great to be home. And we just thank you for the opportunity mm. of just being able to be part of um, this journey. Thanks for sharing. Can I pray for you? Yes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jeff and for Marion. Thank you, Lord, you've gone ahead. You've answered our prayers. We thank you and acknowledge you are a prayer-hearing God. Thank you for the connections, the close connections and the sense of family that they're experiencing in the Philippines. And thank you, Lord, too, that Jeff is fitting in with the team in leading part of it, but also in building relationships with people. We pray your ongoing blessing upon that ministry. For them back here in Australia, Lord, keep them safe in travels. Give them good health. Give them great times of fellowship as they connect with other churches and those who support them. Give them wisdom and joy in being at home as guests. And help them, Lord, to enjoy both Michael, Sagana and little Jacob's company. So we commit them to you and ask your blessing to be upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. What are we doing? Elijah. Elijah prays. I spent all week wrestling with what to call this sermon. And that's the brilliant topic that I've come up with. Elijah prays. So we'll do the same. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. <clears throat> thank you that we are your servants. That you go before us as we've just heard, but you also speak to us as well as listen to us. Lord, speak to us now. Open our eyes to see truths out of your word that are relevant for us where we are in each of our different situations, uh, that we might be walking closely with you and living lives that please you. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? James and Elijah. <clears throat> we have read from the book of James before, um, but I just wanted to point out this morning that James was himself a prayer warrior. James had uh, an early church nickname. They used to call him, somebody said it, Camel's Knees. Why were they calling him Camel's Knees? Because he had knock knees? No. 
because he used to spend a lot of time on his knees praying, developed calluses on his knees, and they would have discovered that probably after he had passed away. So he had a nickname for being called Camel's Knees, uh, which I'm not sure when that was given to him. <clears throat> when you read the letter of James, you'll find that James refers a lot to prayer. Chapter 1, refers to prayer. Chapter certainly 3, 4 and 5, he talks about prayer. In terms of percentage amongst all of the... Um, uh, epistles, the letters of the New Testament, James probably have the highest percentage of references to prayer for the short letter that he had written. So if we ask the question, where did James turn to for encouragement to pray? And the answer is Elijah. And he refers to Elijah in chapter 5. And just to remind you, James says that Elijah was a man just like us, human. Same issues, same pressures, stresses, all of that, he was human. He wasn't superhuman. He was a mighty man of God, mightily used by God, but he was normal and ordinary, just like you and me. And he prayed. That's the difference James wants to point out. He read the Bible and he knew what God had said, and so he prayed that God wouldn't send rain. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then James says, and again he prayed, and then the rain came. So James and Elijah fit together. And this morning, our topic, the end of this paragraph in Chapter 18 is all about Elijah's prayer. <clears throat> he prayed on top of Mount Carmel when he called down fire and Pastor Jeff last week spoke about that, I hope. And if he didn't, then you're getting half the message on prayer this morning, the second half. Uh, prayer for most of us, prayer is easy, isn't it? It's just talking to God. But prayer is hard. We wrestle with it. Where would you place yourself on the scale from easy to hard when it comes to prayer? Most Christians, <clears throat> if not all Christians, most Christians struggle with prayer. And if you don't struggle with prayer, you probably struggle with Bible reading. There are those who don't struggle with Bible reading, but they struggle with prayer. So I want to talk this morning about some of the points that we pick up from Elijah that may encourage us. Most of this is going to be a reminder for you. We find prayer difficult, most of us, because we like to be independent. We like to be self-reliant. And particularly if you're a leader, whether in church or business, doesn't matter. But leaders tend to have a nature or a personality that makes them want to be doing things, not stopping and praying about things. We're more driven by action. And why is it easier for us to teach a group, a group of children, teach our family, than it is for us to pray for them every day or every week? Well, Elijah was a man who was very familiar and obviously very good at and strong in prayer. His prayers are not long, but his prayers are very effective. You'll find the same with the Lord Jesus if you study his prayers. So I came across this outline very early on in this week, <clears throat> And I liked it. I got up this morning and I went, oh. anyway, I've stuck with the outline. At the end of today's message, in a short time, I hope you can say this sentence. This is a summary, the outline of the seven truths that we can find. There are more, but there are seven truths that we're going to talk about this morning in this paragraph about prayer and the James 5 passage. Position yourself in private to pray what God has promised with precision, passion, and persistence. Read it like this. Position yourself in private to pray what God has promised with precision, 
passion and persistence. You can't take a photo of my slides. <laughs> well, all right, yes, you can. There you go. I'll leave it up. 20 bucks. <laughs> Position yourself in private to pray what God has promised with precision, passion, and persistence. Verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. <clears throat> the story has just concluded where Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he's called fire down from heaven and the fire has come. The sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice, if you like, has been offered. The people have turned back to God, acknowledging that Yahweh is God. The Lord is God, the Lord is God. Elijah has directed them, therefore get rid of the false prophets, the prophets of Baal, and they have. 450 people are taken down the bottom to the river Kidron and they are there executed. The government public penalty for that crime in Israel. And then Elijah turns to the king, Ahab, and he says, go, eat and drink, refresh yourself. You haven't eaten all day. You're going to need to eat and energise yourself because I hear something. He didn't hear it physically. The sky is blue when the wind is not blowing. Imagine that. But Elijah prophetically hears the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a heavy downpour coming. It was how God communicated to his prophet that what he had said back in chapter 18, verse 1, which was, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Elijah, having been obedient to the first bit, has now got, God has prompted him and given him indication that now is the time. I'm not going to spend too much time, hardly any, in fact, on, Elijah, on Ahab, but I just wanted to point this out. Ahab is a very good illustration of us in our fallen human nature. If we, like he, if we can just eat and drink, then we can disregard the judgments of God and we can remain indifferent to our eternal destiny. And he does exactly that. He goes and eats and drinks. At the end of the chapter, the beginning of the next chapter, Ahab returns home to Jezreel, their summer palace, and there is not one mention of the Lord. He tells Jezebel all that Elijah has done. Ahab's heart is closed to the true and living God. Here is a biblical illustration to help address the question that you may have been asked or you may have even asked it yourself. If only I could see a miracle, then I would believe. Well, Ahab saw a miracle. Fire out of a clear blue sky. He didn't believe, didn't change his heart. He is a picture of a man who is... Um, given into his fallen human nature. So the seven principles, or the seven points, if you like, of an effective prayer, position yourself in private to pray what God has promised with precision, passion, and persistence. I'm not going to deal with those in that order, but I'll highlight each one as we come. Firstly, he prays in private. The next verse says, verse 42, So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. The position is he, he took himself aside. He had stood before the crowds of hundreds, maybe thousands, stood before the king of Israel, but now he takes himself off, away from the crowd. There's the first principle of prayer that we need to be reminded of. We need to pray in private. We need to pray alone. There is a time for us to be alone with God. The Lord Jesus certainly said that, didn't he? Go into your closet, close the door and pray. Get alone. There are sometimes, there are sometimes it's good to pray together. It's good to pray with others. It's good to pray as a family. 
There are sometimes you've just got to pray by yourself. Somebody illustrated it like, it's like lovers. And it's good for lovers to be mixing with others socially and publicly, but there are times when lovers just need to be by themselves, don't they? Do I get an amen? I got a... God loves us. There are times God just wants to be alone with us. How's that going in your life? Are there times when you're getting alone with him? And of course, when we draw aside, like Elijah, we go to the top of Carmel, we, except for his servant, he's by himself. He's certainly praying by himself, like Jesus prayed by himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not just physically alone, but there's something happens when you close the door of the closet. Something happens where you, you calm yourself. You gather your thoughts together. You're able to focus your attention on the one that you are speaking to. So it's a helpful device to remove distractions. That's basically what the point is. Um, and it's the old psalmist. Be still and know I am God. So let me ask again, how's that going in your life? Are there times when you're getting alone with God? And if not, maybe that's something you need to work on and improve, particularly if you're a Christian leader. If you're on our board, if you're on the pastoral team, if you're on our management team particularly, but if you're a ministry leader over a particular ministry in our church, very important for you to do this. Remember what the apostles did in Acts chapter 6, verse 4? There was a problem in the church and the Greek-speaking widows were being left out of the distribution of the food for the, um, for the widows distributed by the church and the Jewish ladies were getting it, but the Greek ones were missing out and there was a complaint. Um... And they gathered, the apostles gathered the church together and they said, here's the solution. Pick out seven, you know, seven people who are going to administrate this, seven men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are godly, caring and trustworthy, yada, yada, yada. And the church does that, pick seven. And the reason, the rationale the apostles give is it's not appropriate for us to devote our time to waiting on tables, distributing food. We need to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We all have a different role, different function. We all do that and we do it together. But the priority for the apostles was prayer and the teaching of God's word. Private intercession linked with public proclamation. So too for us. Let's move on. So he prayed in private. I forgot to do that slide. Position yourself in private to pray what God has promised with precision, passion and position. Position yourself and <laughs> so Ahab went up to the top uh, to eat and drink uh, off and Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees his posture is what I mean by position what's the posture he took well as I said before he stood before the king but now he is coming before the king of kings and he humbles himself it's reverence he, his body demonstrates the attitude of his heart just like uh, body language does you know there are people who are really into body language they're in meetings and I often sit there like this what does that mean <laughs> it means I'm not interested that's what body language experts say and it's not true it's just very comfortable for me to do that and it's probably indicating that I'm relaxing 
unless I'm doing this. That's different. Our body does reflect what we even would think, don't we? Quite subconsciously sometimes. Well, this is what Elijah is doing, and so too. The Bible does not mandate for us that there is any particular one way for us to posture ourselves to pray. You can kneel, you can sit, you can stand, you can walk, you can lie down, you can bow your head, you can close your eyes, you can put your hands together, you can look up, you can raise your hands. The Bible is filled with all of those. And I would add, you can even pray while you're driving. And for some of you, you need to pray while you're driving. (laughs) Here is Elijah who postures himself. His position in prayer is helped by the physical thing. So what do you need to do physically to likewise help you to remove distractions? How is that going in your life? Some people find it helpful to pray. Some people find kneeling to be too painful to pray. Do what you find helpful. Position yourself so the attitude of your heart. God is our heavenly father, but he's also our sovereign. He's the Lord. We are his children, part of his family, but we are his subjects. We are his servants. And so as Peter says, you know, it's humble yourself before the Lord and let God lift you up. Cast all your cares upon him. Follows, humble yourself before the Lord. That's what Elijah does. And that's another aspect of his prayer, our position. Position yourself in prayer to pray what God has promised. Uh, Chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and the Lord says, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send the rain on the land. That's the promise. God has indicated what he is going to do. So Elijah is praying what God had told him that God was going to do. If God has said he's going to do it, why should we pray? Well, because God has linked them together. I'll come back to that. In the book of Ezekiel, Arthur Pink points out for us in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, God gives a whole series of promises in a paragraph. And then in verse 37... You know, God's going to do this, he's going to return them to the land, he's going to multiply them, he's going to bless their crops and he's going to do all these things for them. Verse 37, I will yet be inquired of by the house of Israel for this. Isn't that interesting? Here is a whole lot of things God says I'm going to do. And then God says, I will yet wait for the house of Israel to ask me for them. There are things that God has promised that he won't deliver until we have asked. Why? Well, because that's how God works in the world. God has given us his promises, his word, to indicate what he wants to do, what he's going to do, and he invites us to join him in doing that. And we join him in doing that by praying. Again, Pink says that prayer is like, uh, the promise is like a mould to which our petitions are being poured into it and shaping the very thing that's going to come to pass. What God has willed in his promise will be done through your prayer. God has ordained that if we receive, if we are to receive, we are to ask. If we want to find, then we have to seek. If we want the door of God's blessing to be opened, we have to have to knock 
Our failure to do so proves, James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. Elijah prays what God had promised. God has invited us to ask for anything that we want, need or desire. Did you hear that? God has invited us to ask him for anything that we need, want or desire. But God has not obligated himself to give us whatever we ask. He reserves the right, the option to say, no, he's not a magic genie. But he is our loving Heavenly Father who loves to surprise us. Elijah was a man who prayed with confidence and conviction because God had already told him, I'm going to send the rain. So what's Elijah do? Send the rain. Please, Lord. Send, you said you were going to send the rain? Send the rain. I'm asking, send the rain. And then he says to the servant, go and have a look. I've heard the sound of the abundance of rain, but I can't see it. Lord, send the rain. And as we'll come to nothing for six times and then on the seventh time. Somebody has counted, and I'm a little sceptical of it, but somebody has counted and said that there are 7,000 promises in the scriptures. That's an awful lot. It's two or three per chapter. So while I'm a little sceptical about the number, nonetheless, I do want to encourage us to take this step ourselves, to find the promises in God's word, but observe the context of them What is God saying? Who's he saying it to? And does it apply to us? And are there any conditions? Because as we have said over the last few weeks, promises are linked with obedience. I will do this if you do that. If we're doing that, then he'll do this. That's what he says. We just need to take him at his word. As Spurgeon said, God loves it when we quote scripture back to him because it indicates that we believe his word. God, you said... Do it. That's what Daniel did. He was reading the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, God had said the people would go into Israel for exile for 70 years. Daniel added it up. Gee, time's nearly up. Started praying. Lord, send us back. Open the doors for us to return. And he prayed for that fervently. Daniel 6, Daniel 9 and following. That's what Elijah does here. He read Deuteronomy and it said, If my people... Depart from me and they go worship other gods, other idols, then I'll shut the heavens. Elijah read that and he said, well, they've done that. They've gone after Baal. It's everywhere. Lord, you say you're going to shut the heavens? Shut the heavens. Don't let it rain. That's his prayer. A prayer of faith to try to restore people, a tough prayer, but nonetheless a prayer. Rhonda and I are enjoying our new Vovo car. The other day I was driving it and this funny little orange sign came on. It was the shape of a petrol tank and it said, you have 90 kilometres left. That's a warning. The petrol was getting too low. So I immediately sent Ronda around to fill the tank. <coughs> no, I didn't. Somebody said this, engines run better with fuel in the tank. Who knew? <laughs> oh, in case for those of you not aware, we have an old car. It runs on petrol not electricity, which is the way of the future. Engines run better with fuel in the tank. Scripture is the fuel that we put into our tank to feed the engine of prayer. Scripture is the fuel that we put into our tank to feed the engine of prayer. Pray God's 
word. Pray what God has promised. And I think I've nearly mentioned the next one as well. Position yourself in private to pray. And that's certainly what Elijah has done. And he has prayed what God has promised. I've already spoken enough about that. I'll move on. This is 517. This is where he prayed. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. And again he prayed that it would rain. And it did. So he prayed. Position yourself in private to pray what God has promised with precision. Be specific. This is where often we fail in prayer and why prayer is hard for us. And we don't see clearly God's answers because we haven't been specific in prayer. Let me ask you this question. It's a hard question. After you've prayed, after you've gone through your time of prayer together, do you know what you've prayed? Or has it been routine? Has it been on automatic? Is it, I'm saying words to God, but I'm not conscious of exactly what it is that I am praying. Often our praying is too general, too vague, too blurry. Be specific. Well, Elijah was specific in this. Close the heavens, Lord. No rain. Open the heavens, Lord. Send the rain. Let me ask you this question. What top three things are you asking God for right now? Top three things for yourself, for your family, for the church. Are you asking God for anything? Why not? Your loving Heavenly Father wants to bless you and surprise you. What top three things are you praying for? Maybe that's something for you to pick up. The Lord Jesus often in the Gospels, when he was approached by people who wanted to be healing, on several occasions he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? To the blind men, what do you guys want? What do we want to see? To the lepers, what do you want? Uh, We want to be cleansed. If the Lord Jesus asked you that question, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you in you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do through you? Specifically, pray with precision. And if you pray with precision, then you will see his very specific answers. Elijah knew what he wanted and he went looking for the answer. And you'll do the same. I don't really have much time for this, but I do wanted to tell you this story about a little family, businessman in this particular city, um, a family of about four or five kids. And uh, the youngest child, his name was Tim. And the dad felt God and the wife felt God was calling him into full-time Christian work. And so he sold his business, went into full-time Christian work and was struggling financially for a while. Got to the point when they were having their family devotions, little Tim, youngest child, says to his dad, Dad, do you... Do you think Jesus would mind if we asked him if I could have a shirt, a new shirt? And, of course, being very good, godly parents and wanting to train their children in the ways of God, they said, no, not at all. And they had the practice. They had an exercise book. And on one side, they wrote, we ask. On the other page, they wrote, he answers. And then they just filled that in as they went. 
So every day they would open their prayer book and where are we up to? So they wrote in, shirt for Tim. And the mum, being the mum, wrote in, size seven. Prayed it. Guess what happened? Nothing. Prayed it the next day. Every day for several weeks, little Tim says, he's praying that prayer. Shirt for Tim, size seven. After about three or four weeks, a local businessman who owned a clothing store knocked on the door of the fam- knocked on the family door and said, "We've just done our stock take in July, and we've realised that we've got this extra stock. We have some shirts. You have boys, and so I was wondering if you would like them." And the mum said, "We certainly would. What size are they?" Well, how many do you have? Twelve, he said. What size are they? Size? Seven. Now, what would you do? You'd say, thank you, Lord, that's an answer to prayer. You take the shirt and you put them in the drawer and you, that night at prayer when he says, can we pray? And then you say, you don't have to pray there anymore. He answered, yes. That's what you write in the book. Not these parents. They arranged with one of their older kids that that night when they bow down to do their family devotions together and pray, and they come to the thing about... And a shirt for Tim, size seven. They said, no, don't have to pray that prayer anymore, Tim. The answer is yes. And his eyes slid up. And the elder boy goes out and brings back a shirt. Bang. And goes out and gets a shirt and brings it back 12 times. There was a little boy in that city in the United States who believes that God hears and God answers prayer because the parents modelled that for him. Pray with precision. Pray specifically. He's now called David Yongi Cho, and I don't endorse all of his ministry at all, but he was initially called Paul Yongi Cho. And he was leader of the biggest church in the world, in my understanding, Pentecostal Foursquare Gospel guy. Um, a very influential, and I think he's still alive, not sure. He tells a story when he was starting out in ministry. The Korean War had finished, and he, God called him to be a pastor, and so he went off. And he said, Lord, I need a bike so I can ride around to the villages. I need a desk so I can write my sermons on. And I need a chair that I can sit on my desk and write at the things. And then he writes a story and the Lord comes back to him. And he prays that. I need a bike, desk and a chair. And God came back to him and said, what sort of bike do you want? And he said, I want one of those like that over there. I want a blue bike. And what sort of desk? I want one of those, you know, Big senior pastor's desks, blah, blah, blah. What sort of chair? I want one of those really comfortable chairs. And anyway, long story short, gets a blue bike, gets the desk, gets the chair. Be specific. That's what we are encouraged to do. And I challenge you to do that and watch God answer your specific prayers. Moving on. Prayed earnestly, wouldn't rain, didn't rain. Precision, done that one. Passion. He prayed earnestly, James tells us. Pray with passion. This is something that I've already referred to. He prayed earnestly. It's, it's pray sincerely. Pray with life. Mean it. Not just say it, but let your heart be connected with what you are saying. Be sincere. Heartfelt is a good way to say it. Because words without heart, God's not interested in. God loves us. He's interested in us and he wants to know what we want. And it's easy for married couples, we just go on routine, don't we? It's easy to get into the routine of saying, I love you and I love you too. And it's nice to say, 
But it's even nicer to say it and mean it. So too when we pray. Pray with passion, closeness. Don't just go on to automatic. And then finally, position yourself in private to pray what God has promised with precision, passion and persistence. Go and look, he says in verse 43. He told the servant and he went and he looked. Nothing. Seven times, Elijah said. Go and look. So for six times, nothing. On the seventh time, the man says, I haven't put it up. No, I didn't put it up. On the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, in this, I'd imagine the Mediterranean Sea is reasonably flat, not much wind, clear blue sky. And in the distance, he says, I can see a little misty cloud rising out of the sea the size of a man's hand. Good eyesight. We were in Gerongong last week and our granddaughters and family there, they're out there on the balcony watching the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and they're looking for whales breaching and dolphins. I didn't see any. I can't see that far. But they could. So it's quite easy to believe that you could see a little mist coming out of a blue sea. And like God's work, it starts small and then eventually grows But he persists, he prays seven times. We need to ask, seek and knock and not give up. Prayer is an outstanding privilege for the Christian life. It's the appointed means of God has given us to access his presence, to draw near to him, to seek his face and to enjoy time with him, fellowship and communion. It's through prayer that we seek God's pardon, God's provisions and claim God's promises. We do not come to a reluctant God, but we come to one who is our loving Heavenly Father who wants to surprise us, who wants to listen to us and wants us to know that he is listening. What's that saying? Position yourself in private to pray what God has promised with passion If you can say that sentence next week, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. 43 bean cup of coffee. Little sachet one. Let's pray. Let's stand to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for the example that Elijah is to us. Lord, help us to take something from his example to encourage ourselves in our prayer life, in our walk and talk with you. Go before us in the days of this week. We acknowledge and we believe and we thank you that you are a God who is our loving Heavenly Father, that you listen to us, you care about us, that you know all about us and that you are simply waiting for us to humble ourselves, to rely on you and to ask you, Lord, could you please? So Lord, lead us, guide us and bless us in answering our prayers. We ask and pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... And God bless you, everybody. Uh, Kids Church are having a special morning too, so don't forget, parents, you need to get down there for that. If you'd like someone to pray for you, come and we're happy to do that too.